The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. I'm very excited about our topic today. We have four guests with us, and they are part of a brand new not-for-profit trade association called the Electric Vehicle Charging Association, the EVCA. They've just formed this organization. We're going to talk about the purpose of it, but we're also going to be talking about their companies. Our guests today are the uh, president and CEO of Envision Solar, Desmond Wheatley, the president of EV Connect, Jordan Raymer, the Vice President of Government Market Development for Volta, Dr. Abdella Shikawi, and the Vice President, Western Region for NRG's EVGO, Terry O'Day. And we are thrilled to have you all on Go Green Radio. So welcome, gentlemen. You know, before we dive into the details of the new trade association that you've just formed and, you know, some of the policy issues that impact charging infrastructure, I'd like for my listeners to learn a little bit about each of your companies. So Desmond, we'll start with you. You're the president of Envision Solar, the world's only transportable solar-powered car charging station. Talk to us about your products. Well, good morning, Jill. And and before I do that, let me just um, say thank you very much to you and to your listeners for doing what you can to protect this beautiful planet that we all call home. Um, Envision Solar is a San Diego-based sustainable technology innovation company. Um, We invent, design, engineer, and manufacture solar-powered products for the electric vehicle charging market, um, for the energy security market, and also for outdoor advertising. So you're quite right. We have uh, the world's only transportable, uh, completely autonomous solar-powered electric vehicle charging station. It tows to a user's site just like a, 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 a boat trailer, and it's deployed in a couple of minutes and allows people to have electric vehicle charging anywhere that you can see the, uh, the sky. Now, there's a number of things that's very important about the product. Obviously, not connecting to the grid um, means that we are delivering very clean and renewable energy into electric vehicles. Um, the generation of electricity and transportation account for about 70% of the United States greenhouse gas emissions. And our products wipe out um, all of those 70 percentage points. So it's just a fantastic piece of low-hanging fruit. In fact, I just can't think of anything else that you can do that's more meaningful uh, in terms of uh, uh, cleaning up the environment. Our products are manufactured in the United States. We're very proud of that. We make them right here in San Diego. And um, we're also proud of the fact that the great majority of the people that work for us are combat veterans. And uh, I can tell you that there are a few people that you'll find who understand the value of getting us off foreign oil and onto clean, renewable American energy than people who have been over in the deserts uh, fighting for our uh, access to oil. So just a great circular thing. Everybody's doing really working very hard here and we're having a fantastic time making the world a better place. 
Oh, I love it, Desmond. And and as a former uh, Navy veteran and married to a Marine Corps veteran who were stationed in San Diego, I thank you for incorporating those folks into what you're doing. I love to hear that story. Abdullah, you're the Vice President of Government Market Development, Public Policy, and Utilities Relations for Volta. And Volta partners with brands uh, to provide free charging to the public. Talk to us about this unique business model that Volta is utilizing. Uh, yes. Uh, first, thank you for, for having us on this show, um, Jill. It, it is really uh, um, a, a great uh, endeavor uh, driving uh, uh, green uh, transformations of everything we do. Um, Volta specifically um, deploys EV charging kiosks prominently in locations where citizens go to shop, eat, and play, such as shopping centers, and city entertainment districts. Um, These locations are actually very convenient to EV drivers and also very visible to non-EV drivers, the the rest of the population who still has to uh, uh, learn and try and um, change to, to electric driving. And therefore, it provides actually a unique platform for brands to do something meaningful for the community. And what we have learned at Volta and what we have been experimenting with and validating is that brands are actually really interested in in doing something for communities that is meaningful. And so they are willing to actually sponsor a free service, but to actually the site owner who benefits from a free public amenity that is great for all their citizens, visitors, shoppers, um, and for EV drivers who essentially benefit from very convenient um, charging where they go shop and eat and play. Um, this model essentially not only provides a sustainable way to finance an expensive amenity, but it also um, very importantly catalyzes EV adoption as we get hundreds of thousands of non-EV drivers that can see front and center um, public EV charging stations and electric vehicles connected to them um, at places where they go on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I love that because, you know, one of the things that has been a bit of an obstacle for the adoption of EVs has been range anxiety and where will I charge it, you know, and I'm away from home. And so I love the fact that you're getting it out there and making it visible with something that brands can actually do some social good um, for the community. That's a great idea. Now, Jordan, you're the president of EV Connect, a leading provider of EV charging stations for commercial, enterprise, hospitality, university, and government facilities. Talk to us about what makes EV Connect's product services and your clientele unique. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me and the rest of the, the group here from uh, EVCA. Yeah, EV Connect has developed the industry's leading cloud platform for managing the electric vehicle charging ecosystem. With, with our platform, we enable charge station owners to manage all aspects of their station activity, the driver experience, and their interaction with their local utility. Our platform is based on all open technologies. We're a big believer in that. So we work with dozens of different station manufacturers, giving our customers choice for which type of station they they can use and manage, and we actively manage the ecosystem. 
so that we really we have the highest user satisfaction levels in the industry, which ultimately translates into a fantastic experience, which is extremely important for for um, all, all people using um, EV charging, especially the um, the drivers and and the owners of the stations. In in the North American market, we we go to um, we go to market as a solution provider where we help anyone with a parking lot to become a fueling provider of electricity. Um, so if if you have a parking lot um, and now with the distribution of of fueling moving from a centralized location such as a gas station to anywhere that you park, now a parking space can become a fueling location, and we enable anyone that has one of those uh, to become a, a fueling provider. That's exciting. Now, when people do this, I mean, if it, you've got a parking lot and you want to do this, it, can it be a way to generate a little bit of funding? Yeah, that, that's one of the things that our platform does is it, it does enable you to um, bill drivers. Uh, you can mm-hmm. also not charge them, but it, you, you do have an ability to recover costs uh, associated with the fuel that you, um, you disperse. Excellent, excellent. Now, Terry, you are a vice president for NRG's uh, business unit, EVgo, the largest provider of public direct current fast charging in America. And I love the idea of fast charging because my husband has an EV, it takes all night to charge. And so the idea of fast charging is so important to getting people out in EVs and getting them, you know, able to get back on the road when their charge is low. Talk to our listeners about your company's products and services. Services. Sure thing. Thanks so much. We are a part of NRG Energy, which is the largest independent power company in the United States. Uh, we produce enough power for about a third of American homes across the country. And NRG has become a leader in renewable power and, and uh, customer choice in energy. And EVgo represents part of that. We've invested to build this fast charging network, which is our flagship product. And uh, like you described, this is a network that gets you back on the road pretty quickly. You can get a uh, full charge on the typical electric car in about 30 minutes uh, with one of our sites. And what we do is we provide these stations in metropolitan areas um, spread across the region. Uh, We fully fund the construction uh, and operation of the charging stations. So we have the opportunity to choose from some of the best retail sites in a region. We work with folks like Simon Properties at their premium outlet malls um, and other malls. We we work with uh, grocery companies. So while you're in getting a coffee or doing some shopping, um, your car can get a full charge when you come back out. And by Placing them across a region, you get a network effect. So it's not just about, you know, while I'm getting my groceries, it would be nice to get a full charge, but rather the confidence that comes from knowing that no matter where you go in the region, you'll always be close to a fast charger that will get you back on the road. From our point of view, we think that helps to sell cars, and uh, the automakers are expressing that same interest. When you buy a new Nissan Leaf, or a BMW i3, or a Ford C-Max Energy Hybrid, um, you get included with the car free unlimited charging sessions with EVgo. So your fuel comes with your car at the time of purchase, and you can't really find a better way to express the 
uh, economic savings for buying an EV than having free fuel. Wow, that's powerful. I love it. Now, this is a question for all of you, so I'll let you all take a whack at it. But um, I'm curious as to why you formed the Electric Vehicle Charging Association. I've had members of the Electrification Coalition out of D.C. on the show before. Why not just be a part of that? What, what did you need to form a new organization to accomplish? Um, Jill, this right. is a good question. This is Abdella. Um, I... I, I think that the, the key piece that we have realized is, is that EVCA companies, um, you know, EV charging companies have been um, during the past few years um, doing quite a bit, um, as mentioned in a study that we talk about, I think, um, the state of charge. We have collectively learned tremendously about EV charging, and uh, we felt and we realized that there was a need to uh, share and spread this knowledge specific about EV charging, which is one key aspect about the electrification of transport. Um, and so we we have started EVCA to really spread and, and 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 provide this knowledge to all stakeholders, and especially to policymakers and government agencies who are playing um, a very important role in developing policies that remove obstacles to the deployment of EV charging infrastructure and therefore drive EV adoption. Um, and uh, Electrification Coalition actually also play an important role, but it covers uh, sort of an umbrella role that covers all aspects of, electric, of electrifications, um, which are many. Well, and I want to give everyone else a chance to also um, add their two cents as to why this organization was so important to form independent of other organizations. But we have to take a quick commercial break. So we'll cover that when we get back. Don't go away, folks. There's so much more on Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Today we're talking about the brand new organization. It's a trade association called the Electric Vehicle Charging Association, the EVCA. And we have a group of tremendous guests who are with us. And right before the break, I asked them all the question, uh, why did you form this organization? What was the need for a new organization to address specifically the EV charging uh, industry and infrastructure uh, issues? And Desmond Wheatley is the president of Envision Solar. He He'd like to add a little bit more to what we discussed right before the break. Go ahead, Desmond. Share your thoughts with us, please. Certainly uh, echo what Adela said. And, um, and then just want to go on to point out that if there, are, if there are two main impediments to the adoption of electric vehicles, one of them is a perception of cost, which I must say it can easily be debunked when you go through the numbers. In fact, I call my EV my free V because it seems like a free car after the BMW I was driving before. <laughs> Uh, but the, the other, the other uh, big impediment to the adoption is lack of infrastructure, this thing that's translated often in, in where the consumer is concerned into what's called range anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think uh, it's, all of us have experienced the fact that when we do talk to people who are um, involved in, in, in writing policy about electric vehicle infrastructure, it's very rare to find anyone in the room who either owns and operates an electric vehicle or who has ever actually uh, deployed electric vehicle infrastructure before. So to Abdella's point, the idea of having a group of uh, what arguably are the sort of preeminent experts globally now in terms of the deployment of the infrastructure, which is vital to the uh, adoption of electric vehicles, having that group of people come together, share thoughts and ideas amongst themselves, and then make that information and that educational available, uh, information available as EVCA does uh, to anybody who wants it, but particularly to people who are involved in the, in the, in the writing of policy about the adoption of this type of infrastructure, uh, can only be a very good thing. Mm, agreed. And, and I think that's an important function of the organization. We'll talk about some of the other functions of the organization a little bit later in the show. But Desmond, um, the EVCA has published a report called The State of the Charge. And in it, um, it states that California commands 40% of the electric vehicle market. And I'm wondering how you account for that. Is it just because we're a very large state full of green citizens, or is there public policy that's helping to drive this phenomenon? It's a little bit of all of it, I think. Um, There's a large state. People drive a lot of miles here. Um, There has been uh, you know, there, or there have been and still are some attractive incentives to encourage people to get into electric vehicles. There's a, there's a, uh, a you know, state incentive for electric, uh, for plug-in vehicles and also for hybrids. Um, and there are other incentives like the ability to drive in the HOV lanes, which are very attractive to people. Um, but I think, you know, uh, it's worth pointing out that there are other states in the union which offer more generous incentives but don't have the same level of penetration that California has. So clearly there's something more going on here than simply incentives. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can look globally and see that incentives definitely do work. Uh, Norway, for example, has by far the highest penetration per capita of electric vehicles. Of the 350,000 so electric vehicles in the European Union, 66,000 or, or, or more of them are in Norway. Norway is a really small country. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. place, but there aren't very many people there. Uh, something like one in every 100 vehicles on the road is an electric vehicle now. And that has been driven by really aggressive incentives. And if you think this is important, and I do, um, and I think most of us on the call do, then uh, it seems to make a lot of sense to uh, have powerful incentives encouraging these new types of technologies. Uh, mm-hmm. There's nothing new Absolutely. about this. You know, California has led in the past with tailpipe restrictions all the way back to 1966. Mm-hmm. But, Jill, if I may, I think the, the most important thing I'd like to just point out here is that California consumers are a slightly different breed. They tend to like... Uh, new and exciting and, and, and excellent products. And I think because electric vehicles are just better than internal combustion engine vehicles, you find that out once you've driven one, as your husband has, uh, mm-hmm. then I think California consumers are more inclined to adopt them. And that's a really great thing. And we need more of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and you're talking about working with public policymakers, but there's also the regulatory piece. And, Abdullah, you work with the California Public Utilities Commission, the independent operating utilities. Um, what are some of the challenges that you face in working with the utilities and their regulators? Um, this is a really great question. First, let me point out that um, actually utilities are incredibly important and intriguing piece. Um, really to supporting EV adoption and to deploying uh, uh, EV charging infrastructure. They, their expertise and their scale in deploying grid infrastructure and, re, and, and ensuring the reliability of the delivery of electricity at every point of delivery of energy is key. Um, at the same time, um, EV charging and, and what we all have learned and what we know from the work we have been doing, and I'm talking about the, the, the EV charging uh, companies, members of EVCA and others, is that EV charging is a service um, to multiple uh, organizations, to, to the hosts who um, are going to, to host EV charging uh, amenities, to um, also the EV drivers, depending on where you park, it's a different service. EV charging at a retail location or EV charging at home. EV charging in um, or fast EV charging in in, in uh, places like where um, NRG EV Go is, is, is deploying them are, are different types of services, and all those require both innovation and require. Uh, knowledge and uh, continuous um, improvement of that service. And therefore, we, the, the big challenge is to bring that, that, that innovation and that competitivity that drives that innovation along with the utilities. So, so the big challenge for us is really to show and to ensure to convince utilities that it is only by working together that we can deploy efficiently and uh, effectively EV charging infrastructure at scale that will also provide um, the right service to site hosts and to EV drivers in general. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's, I mean, that's incredibly critical work. I mean, you can have all the innovations, all the cool technology and charging stations that you want, but, it, you know, it, it all comes down to the details between connecting that to the grid, that the utilities are, de- you know, delivering power, you know, to the stations um, and into that piece of technology that the users will, will use. So that's incredibly important work that you do. You know, Jordan, going back to the EVCA's State of the Charge report, it notes that that 70 to 85% of car charging is done at home. But that's not always an option for your clientele. I'd like for you to talk to us about some of the challenges that you face um, in creating the infrastructure to charge vehicles at the commercial level or for fleets that are going to be adopting EV technology. Yeah, Jill, so much of it is related to education. Uh, you know, we work very hard at EV Connect to make sure we provide a fantastic experience for our users. We know that, that fueling their vehicles with electricity is a relatively new experience for most. And so we're constantly working to improve the experience for drivers and for those that own and operate the charging infrastructure. Uh, in the end, um, we really do have to do a lot of educating, though. Um, you know, our... Um, Almost every one of our customer experience representatives uh, interact uh, with their with first-time EV drivers, um, mm. or, or have had limited experience with uh, with drivers, uh, or have had limited experience with drivers that um, you know are new to the vehicle, or new to plugging in their vehicle outside of their home, or or not dealing with a, a gas station uh, like they have in the past. So ultimately, it's 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 uh, it's a new experience for for almost everyone, um, and but but more importantly, it's still too complicated. Um, there's just a lot of barriers still to um, to adoption and to getting used to fueling your vehicle, and so we we work at we work very hard um, to simplify that experience, uh, working with policymakers and others throughout the industry to, to reduce that bar- those barriers uh, and, and make fueling uh, with electricity uh, even easier than uh, what they're used to doing with their internal combustion vehicles. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you think about it, 70 to 85% of all dinners used to be consumed, you know, by a home-cooked meal, but until, you know, everything became fast food and easy access to food out, um, you know, then, then everything changed. And I think the same will be true of EV charging, you know, once it becomes ubiquitous and once, um, you know, there are lots of, of easy options, um, that number will change. That people won't feel like everything has to be done at home or else, you know, I think that that's great. Great that you're getting that education out there. You know, Terry, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because this is something that, you know, I know early on, um, every vehicle manufacturer had their own sort of, it was kind of like the way that cell phones all have their own kind of charging system and their own ports and all that. And there was a problem with um, users being able to find uh, charging stations that would fit every vehicle. What has the industry done to sort of standardize some of the hardware that would help overcome those types of connectivity issues? Oh, sure. Well, for starters, every car uh, available in the market has a single standard for what we call level two charging, which is your um, 240 volt outlet, sort of like your dryer. This is the charger that uh, you would likely install at your home for overnight charging. Uh, 
um, and much of the public charging in workplaces and even some uh, retail, uh, like the uh, chargers that Volta puts out, um, are all standard. So that's a universal standard. Uh, even Tesla, which has its own unique connector, has an adapter to connect to that standard. When you want to go up to the faster charging stand, uh, level um, that our company is uh, better known for, we have at least three different standards. The Tesla, there's a, a German and American standard, and there is a Japanese standard. When we're building our stations today in public settings, uh, the chargers that we deployed now have uh, those different standards built into them. <clears throat> so a station uh, at a grocery store like a Whole Foods, for example, where we operate, now has each of those standards available so drivers can know that when they arrive there, uh, no matter what car they drive, they'll be able to to get a charge. It's not unlike driving up to a gas station today <clears throat> and at the pump, you have a nozzle for diesel, one for uh, unleaded. Uh, they're different types of connectors, but they're on the same pump and on the same island. So it's still very convenient and, uh, and easy uh, and intuitive for drivers. And are there any additional uh, standards that you see worth advocating for that would allow EV chargers maximum interoperability between systems? Or do you feel like you've sort of reached nirvana when it comes to standardization um, practices? Well, as far as the physical connectors, the automakers are the uh, ones who have the uh, sort of best uh, access to the technology that's coming down the road. And so they get involved in standard-setting organizations for that. Uh, for the companies uh, in our EV charging uh, association, uh, we have worked together uh, to develop different interoperability for uh, payment systems in particular, uh, as well as for um, interchangeability of chargers for property owners so that a uh, property owner might choose a, a different network uh, down the road. There's a standard uh, for that. So what's typically installed today uh, is standardized. Um, and the ultimate form of, uh, uh, of interoperability for payment systems, I, I, I suppose there's two. One is uh, make it free, which is, I think, the Volta model uh, and uh, the NRG model with some of our automaker relationships, mm-hmm. or put a credit card reader on it, which is, uh, I think, what we're doing at most of our sites, and I believe what uh, EV Connect is able to do through, um, through phone-based apps with payment mm-hmm. systems. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask our guests what their short-term goals are for this brand new trade association, the Electric Vehicle Charging Association, EVCA. Uh, So don't go away, folks. We've got much, much more on Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Just in case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up. We are talking about a brand new organization called the Electric Vehicle Charging Association. And this is a an association of folks who are pivotal in creating the infrastructure to help electric vehicles um, become even more convenient to drive, as if that's even possible, because they are pretty great. Um, our guests today are the president and CEO of Envision Solar, Desmond Wheatley, the president of EV Connect, Jordan Raymer, and the vice president of government market development for Volta, Dr. Abdella Shikawi. And we are so excited um, to have you all on. I want to talk to you all. Um, and, and Jordan, I'm going to ask you this question. What are the short-term goals for the Electrical, uh, Electric Vehicle Charging Association, the EVCA? What is it that you're hoping you'll accomplish by this time next year in 2016? Yeah, well, Governor Brown has uh, set ambitious goals uh, for the state of California to achieve, uh, you know, the enough charging infrastructure to support over a half a million zero emission vehicles by 2025. And the association uh, having most of its members be California-based and, and the market, as you stated earlier, 40% of the, the market here is in California. You know, we're focused on supporting the California, uh, the governor's goals of hitting that um, and, and actually exceeding that goal of over uh, half a million vehicles um, supported with infrastructure by 2025. So that, that's our primary objective in the short term. Um, supporting that further is just helping to build the market for electric that, vehicle uh, vehicles and the charging infrastructure uh, associated with it. 
Well, and that is so exciting. You know, I drive a hybrid, and that is really the only reason that I'm not in an electric vehicle. I because of you know the, where I drive long distances, there are no charging stations. And so I'm so excited. I want you guys to succeed so badly. And I want to share with our listeners the website for your brand new organization so that they can get on and check it out. It's www.evassociation.org. Abdullah, I want to ask you, do you envision a role for electric vehicle owners in this new association? Well, um, absolutely. Absolutely. EV drivers are really the most enthusiastic and hands down um, the best advocate for, for EV driving. Um, and, and there are many things they can do both for the EV association uh, and uh, in general for, uh, the, for EV driving. Um, the, the first thing I want to tell EV drivers is give test rides. They, putting non-EV drivers in an, in, in an EV um, is hands down the best thing we can do. Um, once people realize how much fun these cars are actually to drive compared to a gasoline equivalent, um, you know, that's, that's already half of the work is done. Mm. In terms of deploying EV infrastructure, I think EV owners have a critical role to play. Um, I would tell them to, to go to their homeowner association if they live in a multi-residential um, um, uh, apartment. Go to the, your employer. Uh, go to your favorite grocery store, your favorite restaurants. Go to your city council and tell them that you want, that you need um, ubiquitous EV charging wherever um, it can be done. This is really important. We need EV drivers to advocate for more um, um, private and public um, EV, EV charging infrastructure. Absolutely. And actually, that did work at my husband's, uh, you know, my husband's work. They, uh, there were enough EV drivers that lobbied for some parking spaces and they got it. And so I think what you say is true. It's EV drivers have a lot of, uh, a lot of influence and can absolutely help to make that happen. You know, Desmond, I want to ask you this question because, um, solar is right in your company name. One of the things that, um, has always kind of not bothered me, but I, I've been more hopeful about um, is the idea of making electric vehicles truly clean. We know that there's zero emissions coming out of the tailpipe, but if the fuel for the electricity that they are being charged on comes from fossil fuels, well, then, it, you know, it's not 100% clean. And I'd like for you to talk to us about how to make that. The, the true promise of charging these EVs on renewable energy a reality and some of the, the public policies that might make it hard for people to take advantage of solar and what we could change in that regard. Joe, there's just nothing more exciting than driving on sunshine. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, you know, the, there, there are really no difference between the electrons produced by a solar panel and the electrons produced by burning a piece of coal. But I can tell you when my bottom's in the driver's seat of my electric vehicle, it just feels different. 
Um, <laughs> and it feels different for a whole number of reasons. I don't, yeah, it's crazy. It's one of those crazy things, but it's a, it's a fantastic thing. What we've proved with absolute uh, um, unequivocally is that you can drive on sunshine. You can drive on nothing but sunshine. In fact, I drive on nothing but sunshine. And I'm, I'm sort of in an odd, perverse way proud to tell you that I got a speeding ticket from the California Highway Patrol the other day for driving 80 miles per hour in a 65 uh, on nothing <laughs> but sunshine. So if that doesn't prove that it works, I don't know what does. Um, everyone should do it. And that, honestly, that's part of our mission. We believe that, that uh, the United States should be a, a nation of EV drivers, and we believe that they should be driving uh, on American energy, and that American energy should be entirely renewable. We know it's possible uh, from a science and technology point of view. Uh, frankly, we just uh, the only question is whether or not we have the will to do it, not whether or not we have the way to do it. So, um, look, there's a lot that still has to be done. There are some great programs out there. There are EV manufacturers themselves who are working with solar providers in the residential side of the industry to uh, bundle solar packages and EV charging at home. Um, but as, as, as my, my colleagues have been pointing out, you know, home charging is great up to an extent, but we have to accept the fact that people need to charge elsewhere. Um, and that, need, that means that we need... Uh, people really accepting of the fact that renewable energy works and it works well. And, and frankly, uh, uh, you know, if, I'm, if I put my selfish hat on, and it, it's, a, it's great being selfish in this industry because when you're selfish uh, for yourself in this industry, you're selfish for the planet, which is not a bad mm. kind of selfishness. Um, but if I put that hat on, then I think we need to have a lot more emphasis on renewably energized EV charging. Um, and, uh, we'll, you know, we will see it um, uh, being deployed in, in, in many more locations, chiefly because uh, it can be deployed in locations where you simply cannot deploy grid-powered uh, uh, infrastructure uh, because it's just too expensive and too environmentally impactful to dig, dig the trenches and bring the circuits to locations, uh, especially for DC fast charging. And that's the other thing that we do is DC fast charging on solar alone, uh, which I can tell you uh, people still think is impossible, uh, but we do it. Uh, we do it every day, and um, it's a, it's just a, a great way to go, and we need to have a lot more of it. Well, and with your products, I mean, you can take them out, you know, on the I-5 where, you know, everybody's going from San Francisco to L.A., and there's, you know, all you see is gas stations, um, uh, you know, but a lot of areas where there's not, uh, it's it's a bit abandoned, and there's not a lot of transmission and distribution lines. It might be easy just to roll up one of your... Uh, one of your charging stations. Same thing in the desert when people are driving out in sort of barren areas. Um, Joe, that, you're that would be fantastic. Right. Corridor charging is by its nature going to be remote, right? When you're between San Francisco mm-hmm. and Los Angeles or in the desert, you're going to be far away from infrastructure. And that means that you might have to trench or uh, for 50 or 75 miles to the nearest substation to bring sufficient circuit for charging. Rest areas, for example, which have enough uh, energy for lights, uh, hand dryers, and maybe a Coke vending machine, but don't have enough for EV charging. We don't do that. We don't need to do that. We get all of our energy from the sun, from the sky above us. Uh, we can be deployed with very little impact, either in minutes or in just a few days for our larger DC fast chargers. Uh, and that means that the environmental impact of the deployment is not so great that it sort of outweighs the benefits uh, from uh, driving on electricity, which you know can happen if you're going to dig a 50-mile trench through Caliche Rock yeah. in the desert. So it's just it's an enabler, um, and it's beyond anything else absolutely the right thing to do, uh, and and works very well. And as I said at the beginning of the segment, it just feels good too. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. There's nothing, there's no better feeling than a, than a conscience that is clear. <laughs> Abdullah, That's I want right. to ask you about something because I, I just didn't quite grasp the concept here. When it talked about um, in the State of the Charge report that the EBCA has put out, that the stakeholder companies who are involved want to increase investment in low-income um, areas and charging stations there. I, I didn't quite understand, you know, the purpose behind that when currently anyway there aren't a lot of electric vehicles being marketed to fit a low income budget help us understand that uh, that notion um, this is a good question and, and there, there are several pieces to the answer um, Jill the, the, the first one um, I think uh, I, I, it is interesting to see that that um, a lot of the infrastructure and in fact it, it makes sense has been essentially following where EV adoption has taken. Essentially, EV penetration drives more EV infrastructure, but also more EV infrastructure drives more EV penetration. And, and, and that's the second piece, which is saying, well, we have a lot of big holes in infrastructure, and um, sort of the, the opinion has been that one of the pieces that it hasn't been there is because there is no in infrastructure. But what you're saying, and you, you, you are uh, partially right, is that um, you need to also have EVs, which have been somewhat an expansive um, uh, proposition so far, uh, is that, that you, know, you, you need to fit the budget of the dollar low income. So there is currently a drive-by, uh, but uh, private organization and also government agencies to actually at least solve one part of the equation, which is to deploy more EV infrastructure um, in uh, low-income communities. Uh, and then there are a lot of other actions that are done. Um, there, there is uh, a law that was passed earlier this summer in California um, to, to help put essentially um, very affordable um, um, clean vehicles, but hybrid and plug-in vehicles uh, in, in the hands of um, um, low-income families. Uh, let me take. Let me. Let me also say, at Volta, when we look at our pipelines of signed agreements, we 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 have agreements with a lot of retail locations, and um, where we and, and and I took a stab at comparing the zip codes of. Um, this pipeline in California uh, and comparing it to um, the database of low-income zip codes, and I found that actually about 17% of our agreements actually fall, fall in um, disadvantaged communities. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I can say that uh, ourselves at Volta and also the other members of the EV Charging Association um, essentially have committed to, being, to add more infrastructure in there. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's and, and fantastic. So it, it, and I can yeah, imagine that if we get to the point where we have fleet vehicles that are increasingly you know, running on electricity, bringing in services and goods to low-income um, you know, neighborhoods, that will also be a plus in allowing them to be able to charge while they're making a delivery or what have you. Um, and I would imagine that would be a very helpful piece of infrastructure as well. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Desmond and Abdullah and Jordan. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information, about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. You know, our listeners, you know we talk about this all of the time. If we're going to reduce our nation's um, CO2 emissions, going to the transportation industry is just a huge chunk of the pie when it comes to where our carbon emissions come from. And today we're talking about what it's going to take to get the infrastructure in place to further adopt and to to really make ubiquitous the adoption of electric vehicles. And there's a new association called the Electric Vehicle Charging Association. Their website is www.evassociation.org. You can check it out. And we have um, leaders from that association who are also leaders in the industry, charging industry, talking to us um, about some of the issues that are so important to make this infrastructure a reality. Uh, Jordan Raymer, who is the president of EV Connect? I want to ask you this. You know, obviously, there's a potential to make a lot of money if your companies are successful in maximizing the sale of EV charging stations. But from a broader perspective, give us some of the societal benefits that we'll all realize that would coincide with expanding the EV infrastructure. Yeah, Jill, you know, enabling electricity as a fuel is, is one of EV Connect's mottos and is actually our number one core value as a company. You know, we, we know that electricity as a fuel, when coupled with clean generation of energy, like uh, Desmond's product, has the potential to significantly reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The transportation sector in California represents over 70% of the greenhouse gas emissions that, that occurs in, in the state, and that number is pretty consistent 
throughout the country as well. So there's just a lot of work to be done uh, in that area around transportation. And it also, you know, it also significantly improves overall air quality when you move to electricity as a transportation fuel. You know, study after study after study show that poor air quality have direct public health impacts. Everything from childhood asthma, we see that in and around the port areas here in Southern California, to many forms of of cancer, uh, and and, and all of that can be directly attributed to uh, air pollution. And when transportation has such a large portion of that, um, you know, it's just really clear that if we can move to electricity as a fuel, it, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Abdullah, I want to ask you the same question. From your perspective, what are some of the societal benefits that we will all be able to take advantage of if we're able to um, move forward in a big way with electric vehicle infrastructure? I I really do hope and I am convinced that that we are moving forward. In fact, at Volta, we say that we want to fast forward to the future. Um, and let, uh, I, I can say this very simply. At, at Volta, what we say is that we are in the business of doing good. Um, by innovating, essentially, on how to deploy useful public EV charging that is very visible and provides a, a unique platform for brands to engage meaningfully the community, we essentially have a high visibility, highly utilized public EV charging that catalyzes EV adoption. And as Jordan said, you know, getting more clean vehicles out there is about air quality. And um, I, I, I can only stress that um, their air quality in California is responsible for twice as many more fatalities than um, traffic fatalities. That's our societal value. We are essentially cleaning the air. We are contributing our two cents, and and we are in the business of doing good. Wonderful, and I love it. Um, Desmond, I think it's important for our listeners to hear, you know, you're not really on a level playing field with the other, uh, you know, fuels that are fueling transportation. Talk to us a little bit about some of the incentives and the disparity between you know, what's going on with the EV industry and what's going on with traditional transportation uh, fuel s- solutions. Jill, like most of my colleagues on the line, I, I get an opportunity to speak publicly about what I do um, fairly regularly, which is great because, uh, let's face it, education is the biggest impediment to the, or lack of education is the biggest impediment to the adoption of these great technologies. So, again, thanks for what you're doing. It really helps uh, with that. But uh, I, whenever I do speak publicly, I invariably get what I refer to as angry oil guy, there's usually somebody in the audience <laughs> that wants to start shouting at me and telling me that me and President Obama are destroying the country because we want people to drive electric vehicles and that uh, our industry is uh, entirely funded by the government and would collapse uh, you know, without the handouts and, and so on that we get. Um, this is nonsense. And actually, if you follow the money, um, uh, what you find is that the uh, carbon-based fuel industries are receiving far more uh, uh, federal and state dollars, particularly federal dollars, uh, your dollars and my dollars, tax dollars at work here. Um, to, I mean, really, literally to the, to the tunes of uh, hundreds of billions, if you include the entire cost of um, uh, supporting uh, oil, for example. Uh, we, we give about $5 billion a year in incentives to oil companies who are making lots of money and highly profitable already. 
Um, and then we do things like spend $50 billion a year defending the Straits of Hormuz, which is something that you'll be familiar with as an ex-Navy person. Uh, we don't defend the Straits of Hormuz because it's fun to go water skiing there. We do it to uh, maintain uh, low and stable uh, oil prices. Now, if we had in our industry even a tenth of the money that's being spent uh, on these types of activities, I can tell you that we would have a, a, a much more vibrant industry um, and we would have a lot more people driving electric vehicles and doing so um, you know, for much less than they're, they're paying for gasoline uh, at the moment. So it is important to let people know that when they hear these, these comments about renewables in the electric vehicle industry being you know, uh, supported and reliant upon government handouts, that in fact uh, what we're getting is a, a, uh, a very small amount in comparison to uh, what the established uh, energy companies are getting and, and uh, internal combustion engine uh, business is getting. And that's where, again, uh, organizations like EDCA are going to be so important because um, having the facts at their fingertips and the ability to uh, communicate the facts to the right ears, um, public and also policymakers, is, is going to be something which will continue to help us go forward. And it's part of the reason it's so important to do what we're doing. Well, and I'm so glad that you are doing what you're doing. And I really want our listeners to get out on your website, www.evassociation.org. Get involved, uh, be supportive, communicate with these folks. It's a brand new organization, so there's lots of opportunity to get involved. And I'm so thrilled to have all of you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, each of your companies is playing a crucial role in what I believe will be a better future for my children and all of our children. And so I want to thank you for what you're doing. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Um, always glad to have you on board. Always glad to hear your comments. So you can email me at gogreenradio at gmail.com or tweet me at, at jillbuck. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.